All right. Uh, I owe you a pun. This is one of my favorite ones. The cannibals showed up late to the luncheon, so everyone gave him the cold shoulder. <laughs> yeah, he ate it, because he's a cannibal. He showed up late to the, to the luncheon, so they gave him the cold shoulder. All right, I want to take you through the rest of the notes that are specifically geared toward the test. There is a relativism test that you will be taking. I want you to walk down this little road with me on relativism, part two, day two, I guess. Yesterday, if you'll remember, uh, we looked at three possibilities and only three possibilities for the existence of moral rules. And that was either they are imaginary, they don't really exist, and we just all sort of are duped into thinking they do. Our, our anatomy, our biology has tricked us into thinking that there really are uh, right and wrong things that we do or, or don't do. Number two possibility is that moral rules developed by chance, just like everything else in a godless, purposeless, um, chance-filled universe. And if that's the case, we demonstrated, I thought, pretty well that I don't really need to obey something that doesn't have a mind behind it, much like my Scrabble letters that say stab Sam. If those developed by chance, I don't obey them, do I? If there were a law, let's say, that some computer accidentally generated without, uh, without intent that said, uh, on Thursdays, you're not allowed to drive your car. Nobody would obey that if, it, if they knew it was a, it, it a computer-generated error. Nobody would obey it. So that's, that's what we mean by if these moral rules happen by chance, why would we obey them? And then the third possibility was that they are purposed. And they are designed. Therefore, when we feel guilty, it's because there's an obligation. There's this oughtness to these different rules that we have. Let's talk about heroes for a second. What's a hero? Come on, you guys, no heroes. What? It is someone who can save the day. Here I come to save the day. Right? What's a hero? It's my dad. Okay, you might have your dad as your hero. Um, what else? Come on, give me, you guys uh, live in a culture of heroes. That every, yes, they fight for good, right? They are the best of what the society you might say, is, is looking for, right? A, a superhero is the best of, the best version of that person. So a hero is typically, think about in the military, what would be considered a hero? We're not talking about superheroes now. We're just talking about an actual national hero. What is a military hero? What, what have they done? Okay, they fought for our country. Okay, good. They, they put... They sacrificed themselves. They put their needs after someone else's needs, right? They did something especially brave. Okay. I think we all know what a hero is. Here's a thought experiment, okay? Thought experiment time. Y'all join me here. Let's think about the hero or a hero of the Christian worldview. What is the absolute best that Christianity could produce, Okay. Uh, who, what would the hero of the Christian worldview be like? Give me some examples. 
Obviously, don't say Jesus because Jesus is the one you're trying to be like. That, that works in Sunday school. It doesn't work in my class. Jesus? Is that the right? Yeah, good, good. No. Okay, what's the hero of the Christian worldview? Or what's a hero that Christianity has produced? Mm, no, I would say Samson probably not emulating Jesus. Okay, it would probably have to be somebody post-Jesus, somebody that lived after Jesus, because they're trying to be like Jesus. So Jesus kind of set the pattern. He set the stage. Okay, good. Thank you. Mother Teresa is one example of something that Christianity has produced that we would say, wow, she really nailed it, right? Why? Why Mother Teresa? Very selfless. Good. Why else? Accepting of others. Very loving. Good. Okay. Beautiful. Maddie. Awesome. How about Adolf Hitler? No, not so much, right? Not so much. What's another hero that Christianity has produced throughout the, uh, the last several hundred, maybe thousand years? Okay. A Paul from the Bible. Absolutely. Who else? Um, no, probably not President Bush. Have you ever heard of Mahatma Gandhi? Gandhi? Have you ever heard of Nelson Mandela? Let's go with Mother Teresa then. We all know who Mother Teresa is. Okay. What is, if, if Mother Teresa is, for example, this is our thought experiment. If Mother Teresa is the best, one of the best that Christianity could produce, think about moral relativism for a second and, and consider what is the best example of what moral relativism could produce. What would the moral relativist worldview, the hero of that worldview look like? Okay. Remember moral relativism says there is no truth. There is no such thing as right. No such thing as wrong. Those are all social constructs that humans have invented. Um, there is no way to improve because think about it. What would that mean if I could improve? Well, it means that there has to be a standard, right? That standard is good, better, and then the best. Well, that doesn't exist in a moral relativist worldview. There is no such thing as better or worse. Remember, those are all things that people come up with. No truth, no right, no wrong, no uh, evil. Those are all just made up. This is the moral relativist. So what is the best? What is the hero of the moral relativist worldview? Someone who does what they want, when they want, however they want, to whomever they want, with absolutely no regard for anyone else whatsoever. That is the hero of the moral relativist worldview. The best that moral relativism can produce is a homicide detective's worst nightmare. Somebody that does not behave by their conscience. Somebody that does not submit to standards of right and wrong. There's got to be something wrong with a worldview whose hero 
is a sociopath. Exactly right. Took the words right out of my mouth. There's got to be something wrong with a worldview whose hero, whose best, the one that most accurately emulates all of the tenets of that worldview. And that person is a sociopath. Yikes. So I just want you to consider for a moment how important it is when somebody says to you, oh, that may be true for you, but that's not true for me. If you're talking about opinions, no problem. Oh, I love vanilla. It's the best flavor ever. And they say, well, that may be true for you. It's not true for me. You're talking opinions here. But when somebody makes a moral claim, and in that moral claim, it's that may be true for you, but not true for me. They are saying a whole lot more than just what you're hearing. They're, they're actually telling you, I am a moral relativist. And that person is dangerous. That is a scary thing. They may not know they're dangerous, but remember, ideas have consequences. And bad ideas have bad consequences. The bloodiest century in human history, do you know when it was? the absolute most violent and bloodiest century in all of human history. The 20th century. Yeah. When more than one tried to implement the ideas of communism and more people have died at the hands of a communist worldview than all of the other centuries combined. That's, that's crazy. And uh, moral relativism is what underlines that worldview and the atheist worldview. Think about it. If you're an atheist, there is no God, then what is your standard for doing what you do, living how you live? There's no God. So what's your standard? Atheists, come on. Talk to me. Yep. Good. Yourself. And maybe you'd be humble enough to say, well, not me necessarily, but Society, good. Those are your two options, by the way. If you reject God and the existence of God, your two options for explaining morality is society and an individual. And we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit more later on. <laughs> I want to talk to you about the argument from evil. This is a cool argument. How many of you have ever either thought or heard someone say, I don't know that I can accept that there is a good God out there when there is so much evil in the world, right? We've heard that. This is an awesome opportunity. And this is what I love to teach you guys and what I love to see you learn in apologetics is it's statements like that that are an opportunity for you to actually share with somebody something that can change everything for them. That is a struggle that a lot of Christians have as well. How can a good God let so much evil happen? How can there be so much evil in the world and he be a good God? When somebody says, and they will, by the way, I, I, don't, I don't think I can believe in a God that allows this much evil. You need to say, well, and here's where you employ your tactics, okay? Employ your tactics. What is your primary vehicle for your tactical approach? How do you approach somebody tactically? 
What is, what is your main way to engage? Questions. Okay, good, good. You guys are awesome. You have the most powerful uh, armory available, and, and it's through questions. Remember, we don't want to destroy people. We don't want to be, what's her name? Newman? Kathy Newman. We don't want to be Kathy Newman who just sees everybody as the enemy. If somebody says, I reject God and the idea of God because how could a good God let so much evil happen? That person is not your enemy. That person is a person that is struggling with finding truth. And that person should break your heart. Because if that person does not find the truth, where are they going to spend in eternity? Hell, right? Separated from God in agony. So here's what I would say to them. Well, what do you mean by evil? Okay, they just said, how could a good God let so much evil exist? And you say, wait a minute, hang on. Can I ask you a question? Sure. What, What do you mean by evil? What they'll probably do is give you examples. Oh, I'm talking about rape. And I say, no, 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 no. I I don't want examples. I mean, what do you mean by evil? What is evil to you? What what is it? Define it for me. Now they're obligated to tell you something that they didn't realize they had to tell you. How would you define evil? Let's let you be the, the one that's arguing in that position. How do you define evil? What is evil? Something that's wrong? Something, what'd you say? Okay, something that is opposite of not good. Okay, it's something opposite of good, yes. Something that wishes or works for the worst of something. I like that too. Great definitions. Now, let me ask you a question. If evil is what is not good, if evil is what works for the worst of somebody or something, what you have and what you're doing without even knowing it is you are making a comparison. You see, evil is a departure from good. Evil is when things aren't good like they ought to be right? Evil is when people are treated in a way that they ought not to be treated. When things happen to people that shouldn't happen and see they're comparing and you don't even know it. You don't even see it. C.S. Lewis said it this way. How would I know crooked unless I first knew straight? Lexi. Yeah, I'm sorry. There has to be a standard. Good. Lexi. Great question. Why can't evil be the standard, right? And good is a departure from it. Think about it this way. I I, I am going to claim that evil cannot exist without good. Because by definition, evil is a departure from good. Now, good cannot be a departure from evil because Evil cannot stand on its own. Of the two, only one can exist without the other one. Uh, of the two, only one can be independent. Just like light. 
light, darkness. You have shadow. Shadow cannot exist unless there's light. But can light exist without shadow? Yes. Heat. Can heat exist without cold? Absolutely. Can cold exist without heat? No. Because cold is simply the absence of heat. That's what you're measuring is the, is the loss of heat. Good is the standard. It has to be the standard. It's the only one that can exist by definition and necessity. Evil is dependent upon good in order to exist. Okay? And here's where it really gets cool. If my standard for judging something to be evil is it's not good like it ought to be, I'm actually admitting that there is a standard of good out there and that is not the standard. That's bad. You see my comparison. So the person that says, I can't believe in a good God because there's so much evil. What's amazing is that person is making a wonderful argument for the existence of God. Because in order for evil on that level to exist, there has to be a good standard against which we're comparing it. And if there is a good standard, and I think a reasonable person would say, yeah, okay, uh, that's not good like it ought to be. Your next question is, well, where does the good come from? And they say, hmm, you got me there. I'm not willing to say that it's God, but I can't really explain evil without good. And I would say, you know, if there is a good out there that transcends, it goes above humanity, and it gives us this cosmic comparison. Hitler was evil. Slaughtering millions of people is evil. Raping a little girl is evil. All of those statements are absolutely meaningless in a moral relativist worldview. Because remember, in relativism, there is no good or bad. There is no evil. There is no sin. There is no wrong. It's only in a moral absolute worldview that we can say, that's bad, that's good. So it turns out that one of the best arguments for the existence of God is the argument from evil. So when somebody says something like that, don't get upset, don't get afraid, don't get um, intimidated. Get apologetics-y. Get excited and use your questions because you're driving when you're asking questions. You say, well, Mr. Dean, that's kind of freaky to me because if I start asking questions, don't I have to know where I'm going? 